So when we are in the sermon series in Job, so we're going through the book of Job, and um, so you would say, why would we go through those old books in the Old Testament? Well, just to remind you, we have the slides from also last time that um, we, bereave, we believe that all scripture is God breath and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and frustration in righteousness that the man of God may be completely equipped in every good work. And I think the second verse here is really going to uh, stand out to us um, uh, as, uh, as we go through the book of Job. The Word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And what does it do? It discerns our thoughts and attention of our heart. No one is hidden, and then leaves us naked and exposed to God's eyes, and to Him we must give an account. I think it's really a lot of what the book Job is going to do. It's going to provoke a lot of different questions in us. Um, I was just reminded, I'll have Abel come just in a a short moment to read. Um, But as I was just, I always have a hard time finishing my sermons. Uh, But this is nothing. So I was just going through one more time. And I think like just to set up today is, is just think, have you ever really cried out? Like, have you really yelled with everything in yourself? Have you ever really yelled that loud and just cried as high as you ever could? That's kind of a foreign concept for me because of my personality and I grew up in Denmark and Denmark, you're quiet. Um, so that's a cultural thing maybe, but so I was just reflecting on my own thing. And I, in my time of playing soccer, that was probably the closest. If I scored a goal or somebody in my team scored a goal. But maybe also it's because it's a physical thing and you're straining yourself so much that when there's finally that resolution of somebody doing it, you're like, yes! Maybe I don't say it out loud, but it's really like a whole physical thing where with everything you have, you're just yelling. Or if you watch sports and you're yelling at the TV and somebody makes a play and you're like, yes! See, I can't even do it in here. But um, maybe I'll be set free from that at some point. But uh, I'm just trying to set that up because I believe this is what we're going to hear from Job today. We're going to hear a deep, deep, deep cry with everything he's got to his friends. So... If you would come up and read chapter 3 for us, Abel. Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, A man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. 
Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Levi them. Let the stars of its dark dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest, with kings and counsellors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not as a, as a hidden stillborn child? as infants who never see the light. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary at are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not? and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. Our trouble comes. So last <clears throat> last week we left Job sitting in an ash heap. Um, He's just lost his ten children. His wife has told him to curse God and die, and he lost all his property. Um, but he did have two, three friends that came to show him sympathy and to just sit with him. Now they've been sitting quiet for seven months. Seven days? <laughs> Not seven months. Um, in mourning. So what is Job going to say? Um, well, you, you, you just heard it, what Job just said. He speaks after these seven days. The last two times we saw him speak, one of the times of his tragedy, he just falls, he rips his clothes and falls to his knees and says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. The second time he speaks is in response to his wife that tells him to curse God and die. And he corrects her and says, Should we only receive good uh, from God and then turn our backs on him when bad things happen? It takes a little bit of a different turn now. 
Job curses the day he was born. He doesn't curse God. This has been the thing that's been the issue the whole time is would he turn and curse God? No, he doesn't. Because that he was born and he has a lot of questions for God at this point. About the text, I'm not the best poetic person ever. And some of the things got me into trouble too. <laughs> like, what? Can he be born and conceived at the same time? Uh, no, you can't. Uh, but apparently in poetry you can. Um, or it can be put together for poetic reasons. Um, so some commentaries helped me out there. Um, we don't see the whole depth of the of of the poetry, and I had to start over because I was starting to explain what all the words mean. It's really interesting, and I can only encourage you to do that. But it gets too complex for me to explain because the author uses five different words for darkness. Um, four different words for cursing and on and on and on and on and so if then I will just ex be explaining words to you so if you have time and you're excited about the text and you really want to see even more I will encourage you to do that study it's not too hard to do it does take some time and it will give you a little more depth um, the first cursing he uses when he curses, cur curses is the notion of could that day just have been erased? Could you just not have let me be born, God? And so you might say, well, this man who used to be the greatest of the East, he's now in so much pain and so much darkness and in so much despair that he's wishing that he was never born before. Um... So, this is where he's at now. He goes through this. Uh, he goes through this thing of where he talks about. This is also one of the slightly confusing parts. Is that in wishing that he was never been um, born, or at least that he would die when he was born um, earlier, or at least maybe he would die soon or die now. He also talks about this passage where, um, where uh, this thing, where we have the Leviathan thing. So that always uh, is a little bit of an interesting thing. So to the best of my knowledge, I, I searched through. And so some people think that he's referencing people, well, maybe from the New Testament, you've heard sermons about how when uh, Lazarus dies, or when somebody dies, um, the, the little girl that dies, you can hire people at that point to cry, like crying ladies. You can have them at the house. Um, so at this point in time, and in this region, you could hire people to curse. So you see, you see that with Balaam in the Old Testament, that you can go to somebody and say, hey, can I give you some money? And then you curse these people. So in this... Uh, the reference would be to some people who you would hire some people to curse someone but then in the, the mythology there is like 
that the people think he's referring to is that he would be able, some people would be able to rise this mythical creature that had seven heads and that that would come up and then eat the stars and like Venus and Mercury in a sense of like, well, this whatever happens, could you just turn out all the lights? Can we just have this end uh, in a very poetic way? Um, this uh, mythical creature, if you go that way, is then supposed to be killed by the uh, ball, uh, kill, killed by the, the, the god, the god, Baal. Um, and so then all the comments say, well, this is not Job, he's not, a, he's not in, all into that, it's just a, and I agree, it's just a symbol of like, he's in so much pain, could you just erase the day and shut down all the lights in the sky? And let me perish. What is interesting in this thing, this, this is how great a poet I am, is that, uh, at least in John and other people, you see there's this use of uh, contrasts, light and darkness. And the interesting thing is that there's also here, but it's kind of flipped on its head. Because uh, Job doesn't want light. He wants the light to go away, um, so he wants darkness, he wants death, he continues to lament the light, he would like the light to go away, he would like to avoid being born, and he prays that God would have not given him life, that God would just let him stay in darkness. Or at least now let him depart into rest, into darkness. As we have gathered by now, uh, we see his extreme pain. The good thing about this, and maybe where this challenges us is, do we do the same? in our suffering and in our pain or even in our everyday do we actually talk to God about how we are feeling not about how we should be feeling are we talking to God and praying about what we are actually thinking or about what we should be thinking I do believe it's, a, it's and I'm learning this myself. I, I gotta be honest, I'm learning this myself. To pray honestly. To pray just what I got. Not to hold on to my systematic theology and pray, God, I know you're in control and all these things. But just say how I'm doing. Because Job could have said, and he also does, he knows a lot about God. But at this point in time, he just doesn't understand why things are happening. And he keeps going back to like, why was I born? And why can't I just die? Now this is why this book of Job is so relevant. Because all these questions are questions that people ask today. I ask this question not for myself, but for my uncle. I'll just recap the story fast. 
go to see my uncle in the hospital. As we go in, the nurses say, we are stopping. We're stopping giving him food. His body can't process it. My mind automatically goes to, then why isn't he just dead now? Why did he have to suffer more? To my ignorance and shame, I hear the story of the three days of his, three best, best days of his life, <coughs> where he gets to have a fantastic time with his uh, wife and his um, son. And a nurse comes in when all the guests have left and asks, do you really believe? My uncle says, yes. And he gets to share the gospel with her. I don't ever want to minimize anybody's pain. But what I thought would have been the best thing for my uncle to die instantly, God kept using him those days. I believe Job and the Psalms show us that we can bring all our requests to God. Also when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're a little bit crazy. That we can just pray whatever we have and just be honest. This is what Job is doing. He is just expressing how he's doing. The interesting thing is he's never... A, rebuked for that. He's not rebuked for his frustrations. Or just asking out why. Job, Job is clear. He doesn't want to be born into a life of pain and suffering. And he's just asking God, why didn't I just die? Why didn't I just die of earth? Like, I would have been all these troubles. I wouldn't have had all these troubles. And again, I don't want to trivialize his pain because this is crazy, crazy pain. I do want to point to the fact that he did experience to be the greatest man of the East. He did experience having ten children. He did have a wife that loved him. But this world is broken. The great love we can have for one another is also going to show up in pain where that person is not there anymore. And we know that for us who's lost somebody who has been who has, or who has been at a funeral. We know things are broken. So in this world of great love can also lead to great pain. In this point in time, Job is just in so much pain. With his boy burning burning sores and scabs everywhere. He's just done like many people are many people would say is he suicidal well i think there's a difference here job just really wants rest but he's not going to kill himself but this is what you're going to hear from people that are in so much suffering you're going to hear i just want rest i just want to stop and so at this point in time the only way he sees it is if God just lets him die. There's been two, two things that has really stuck out to me in, 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 in this, in Job 3. 
And it's something I've been thinking about a long time, and I was thinking, is that, am I the only one that, am I the only one in the world that's thought about this? And that's not a good thing if that happens, but most of the time when you study the Bible. Um, uh, that was my other point. Sorry, I'll get back to that. But the first point is that um, if we go back to um, here, Hedge in. When we go back to chapter 1, and God comes to Satan and says, Hey, look at Job, he's amazing. He's upright, uh, righteous, he falls in the narrow path. And then Satan says, Yeah, but you hedged him in. I can't do anything. Now it's flipped on his head, where Job is complaining about being hedged in. Job is complaining about the thing that made him the greatest in the East, in the East and what gave him ten children, what had him have much prosperity, and what is actually keeping him from dying. But then you can say, well, at this point in time, Job is actually saying, well, can you just let that hedge go away so I can die? Um, but unbeknownst to Job, and us, God has a lot more He wants to show Job. It's going to take us 40, 40 chapters before we get to it, but there's a lot more to the story. The second part, which I already started on for, is for the thing that I fear comes upon me. And what I dread befalls me. It's a, that, that is the thing that just like, kept going in my mind and going in my mind for a couple of years now. And it's something that somebody I know, I'm not going to mention who it is, but you can ask me afterwards when it's not recorded, would say out loud about some things. Um, and strangely enough, that, that happened in that person's life. That that worst fear came true. So I'm wondering, first of all, if it was only me, but is Job expressing here that through his life he has feared, feared some different things? Was Job a worried man? Was that why he was sacrificing for his children if they had might sinned? If they, maybe they had sinned. Was he doing that because he was anxious that he should lose them and they would die? Was he anxious about losing his wealth and the love of his wife? I don't know. But I know the Bible says that he was an upright, blameless guy walking with God. But at this point in time, he's recapping his life of all the troubles that I thought, that I feared would come, they have now fallen on me. I, I think this is a super good reminder for us to think about what is, that, what is it that you fear the most? And you're like, that's kind of a weird encouragement. Yes, you're right, it is. But the thing is that we are told only to fear God, and that's the beginning of wisdom. 
So if we have some kind of scenario of worst case, we have to be careful that does not become into an idol. Because, as I wrote, it's like, your worst fear might actually be something God needs to work away from you. And God is a great God. He's a good God. And He would not do it in a spiteful way. But I, I think I've used the illustration before, but He will come and He will gently break your fingers to take what is in your hand. And you would say, well, I don't have any idols. And I was like, I, that's pretty... I'm pretty sure about that for many of you. You don't have idols at home that you worship in statues. Maybe statues, small or big statues. No, you don't. But... What is your biggest fear? And can that turn into an idol? Why am I talking about that at all? I think because in our time, we don't call it idols and we don't worship them. And you don't have statues. But we do have something. Might be comforts. My comfort. It might be my health. But what if I lose my health? That would be the worst thing that would happen. What if I lose my comfort? What if I lose my children? What if I lose my money? My house? What if I lose my control? What if I lose my job? That's the worst thing that would have ever happen. As you reflect on what your greatest fear is, it's a little bit like if you had a bad experience with your parents and you grow up saying, I'm never going to be like my father, you're going to turn out just like your father. You need to have a different view. If you grow in life with this is my worst fear, there's a chance that that fear will materialize. Whereas, what I think God is asking us to do is take that fear and give it to Him. I do think it's one of the reasons why we're commanded only to fear God. The thing is that we're stewards of everything that God has given. So to live in freedom, we need to give everything we got from God back to Him. So whether that's your comfort, whether that's your health, whether that's your children, whether that's your money, all that stuff has to be given back to God because we're just stewards of it and it should never control us. And I don't believe that we are called to live a life where we make all these scenarios of what our worst fear is. That is probably when we start trusting ourselves instead of God. I have two examples. I'm just going to give the one because I didn't ask permission for the other one which I alluded to before. When we got our first daughter and she learned how to walk, so that's Lily. When she learned how to walk, um, I got really anxious. I got really nervous and for some reason it just came up like, what am I going to do? I, I can't be with her every time. I can't, with, I, I, it's impossible. 
I have to go to work, I have to just think she can fall down the stairs, she can get hurt. And it was getting to be really unhealthy. And I was like, God, I, at some point I just said, God, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't be there. And I, in some way, I, I let her go and said to God, you can be everywhere, but I can't. Even our children is not ours. They're ours to steward, but they are God's. And he's like, oh, that's just easy. No, it's not easy. That's the whole point. It's not easy. Because then it happened a few months later. Exactly the same thing. The same fears, the same paralyzations. And I said to God, I can't do this. You have to take this away. And I give Lily to you. And it's very interesting because she's right there. So it's <laughs> but it's not over. It's not over. But my life can't be lived by thinking that if anything happens to my daughter it would be the worst thing. Because I need to believe that she is in God's hands. Because the fear of the the fear of, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Well, because then we don't have to fear anything else. But put it, to put it in another word, way, as Luke writes, this, and this alludes to Deuteronomy 6, and I had it last time. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, there probably isn't a worst case scenario. But whatever comes between you and the love of God can become an idol. If it's the having, not having enough money, safety. We're never, I think it's this picture of like, we're never supposed to hold things we can't hold. We give it to God because He can hold it. And then we have to remember in our Western world, and this is going to maybe hit us a little bit hard, and this is also what one of the points of the whole book of Job is, control is an illusion. You cannot control almost anything, because the world is so complex. And we're going to see that through the book. That Job is like, well, I, if I can just bring this to God, and if we can just do this, this, and this, and then, I'll uh, give me the whole story away, but when God shows up, He doesn't give an answer. He just says, the world is way more complex than what you think. We cannot control our children to think a certain way. We cannot manipulate, well, we can, but it's probably not going to work, things to happen our way control of others and of circumstances. I said the last time the guy who says all of our lives can be totally changed in a phone call or an email. There's an, we have no control over that. All of us are blindly driving in traffic. We all know that's the, one of the most dangerous things in the world. We have very little control when we look at us compared to God. 
Why is, why is this a good thing? Well, it's a good thing because then we're not called to control something we can't. And it can actually relieve our stress and anxiety to put things in God's hands because we can't do it anyway. Then you might say, well, does that mean that when bad things happen, it's my sin? Well, we can't exactly say that. It could be. could be consequences of dumb things you did or sin you did. But as we're learning, Job, uh, all these bad things are happening to him, but he didn't do anything wrong. So we can suffer for our own wrongs, other people's wrongs. We just suffer because we live in a world that's broken. Does it then mean that if I'm perfect, then I don't suffer? No, it's the same thing. Job didn't do anything, and he suffered greatly. Job longs for rest. He longs for peace. He longs for everything to stop. He has emotional pain. He has physical pain. He has spiritual pain. He really doesn't seem... He seems all alone. That there's nobody there. He's speaking out of frustration now. These seven days of mourning. And his friends... So he, he believes that peace can be found in death and, and that he would be in good company like we read before that he would be there with rulers and kings and, and everything will stop. There's no more working. There's no more pain. He, he uses those metaphors for the, the slave. It's not, there's no master for the slave. It would just be rest. It would just be rest. Just rest. How many times has that been something you wanted to do a weekend? I just want to rest. I just want to rest. That kind of rest is never going to be found here. The rest that we're nice. <laughs> no, but we're not going to find it here. That's the whole point. We're not going to find that kind of rest here. The thing that's in the in between is the verses I read in the beginning. Author of Hebrews, he writes from Hebrews 4, 11. Let us never strive to enter that rest that no, money, no one may fail, fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's our great hope? The Job I talked about last time has the same great hope. The Redeemer that's going to come that he believes he will see God. He's not going to say it for 15 more chapters. But for us, it is since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we have a high priest who is... Who, who, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you are faced with the dark nights, this is what we have to hold on to. That you're not alone. The guy's right there. We have empathetic high priest who's right there with us and can help us even when we don't 
feel that. My question to you would be like, now Job has poured out all this stuff. He's in great pain. What would you say to Job? What is your hope? I have our traditional questions and then I will round up. Why, why are you alive? I'm not saying the question sounds big, but why are you alive? What do you fear? Have you felt God was limiting you? Where can you find rest? When do you pray? And how do you, would you respond to Job? To round it up, shalom, peace, true peace will be restored. Our hope is exactly what that Jesus has restored. But we're looking still forward to the new heaven and new earth. The place where no more sin, no more chaos, where there is rest, where metaphorically every tear will be wiped from our eyes. All this is made possible by Jesus our Redeemer. We can stand with God because we've been cleansed by Jesus. Not in our own righteousness because we did everything well. No, because of Jesus' righteousness. Good news, or bad news. In this life you will have pain and you will, you will have trouble. I'm not going to say that if you do everything right, you're not going to get sick or you're not going to get pain. You are. Because we think of in a broken world and people that are broken and in pain, they will cause you pain. But Jesus has promised to be with us. We can live by the Holy Spirit looking for the real rest in the kingdom of God. And as long as God still have us there, here, there might be one person that we should encourage, pray for, love, and serve. As long as we're still alive, God is working in and through us. So now Job has spoken and his friends have been quiet. Next week they will speak. What will they say? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can um, let's dive into these questions, God. I pray for our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would help our minds and, and spirits to be honest about these, these uh, about these things. Honest with you and one another. Honest that we need prayer in some areas where we need you to make breakthrough. Help us not to pretend to have everything together which we don't. Help us to love and serve one another as we pray, as we look into what you are doing. Because God, we, we just got to believe that we're here for a purpose. That each, each of our days have some kind of purpose where you're teaching us, you're molding us, you're helping us. Help us to continue to be a community where we hold each other up in prayer and that we encourage one another with who you are and what you've done and what will happen and that we will find rest in the end. Not a fake one. The real rest. So we thank you for this time we can spend Job and pray. You continue to work in and through us. 
in this city, in this place, in our families. Holy Spirit, open up our eyes to these things. And praise and only in Jesus.